You can be seated. Let's get into the word this morning. I want to encourage you to put a demand. The thing I know about a demand is I read it in my Bible that there was a woman with an issue of blood. And when she put a demand on her faith, Jesus stopped his whole direction in order to encounter her. And if you're looking for an encounter, then you need to put a demand on being encountered. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. As they were singing this last song, the Lord said to me, he said, I have you on a journey to bring you into the land that I have set for you. My desire for you is total life prosperity. Every command is an invitation to establish heaven's rule in you. This is why obedience is significant. Because your obedience says, I am here to establish the agenda of heaven, not mine. Your obedience says that heaven's agenda usurps your agenda. So every act of obedience brings you under my rule and reign and anoints you to release authority in the area that you have obeyed. Amen. This thing about obedience is not just keep the rules. Something spiritual happens in obedience. Where what I didn't have dominion over before, I now have dominion over. The Bible says that a man um, who cannot guard his own soul is like a city with no walls. Everything is open to him. So when I bring myself into obedience and I stop giving myself so many choices about whether obeying God is what I'm going to do or not going to do. Every time I bring an area of my life into subjection in that area, I have the authority to release the authority of God over that thing. Does that make sense? So when I bring myself into this place where I don't let anger have its way with me, I begin to have authority over the power that anger would have in my life to bring destruction. And so how anger used to boss me, anger doesn't boss me anymore because I have given not my authority to anger, but my authority to God. I bowed my knee to God. And that's why God began to talk to us about simple things, the things that don't seem to make any sense. Can you go to heaven if you curse? Yeah. But people who don't have any regard for the fact that they curse lack discipline in an area. And when you lack discipline in an area, you give the enemy access to an area. And so then what ends up happening, somebody's done it before, that you, you, you let your mouth say whatever it is you want to say. And then when you need to say what God said, that's not what comes out because you haven't trained your mouth to say what God said. And you don't understand why God puts so many restrictions on your languages because he's trying to teach you how to release heaven instead of releasing hell. So I want to talk to you about, um, we were talking last week, we started with dealing with um, Isaac. And this morning I want to go back to Genesis to 12 and I want to go back to Abraham. And I want to walk you into this scripture because I believe that God has much to say to us, particularly around the area of sowing seeds and building altars. 
And I think that this is really important because I think I told you guys last week, you know, that my heart's desire is not to see anybody get to the end of this year and be frustrated that you didn't get the breakthroughs that God said. And look around and go, everybody else lived their best life and I didn't. And so, you know, it's really been in my heart, which I believe has been dropped in my heart by the Holy Spirit to really bring us back to this place of what did God say? Bring us back to this place of bowing our knee to what it is that God said. Bring us back to this place of honoring obedience of, over, of him to him over our own agendas and our own wills and our own intentions. And in reality, as parents, that's all you actually want from your kids. Your kid don't want to go to bed right now. You want them to go to bed right now. What do you want them to do? It's not a trick question. What do you want them to do? You want them to go to bed. You want them to bow their knee to you because you believe you know what's best for them. Well, the difference of it is, is that as parents, we believe we know what's best for our kids. We don't always know. But the father always knows. So when the father's asking us to deal with an area, whether it's anger, whether it's depression, whether it's rebellion, whether it's money, whether it's how we eat, how much water we drink, he is doing that because he wants us to win. Say, God just wants you to win. How many of you want to live a prosperous life? How many of you want to live a prosperous life? Let me hear you. Well, it was God's idea for you to live a prosperous life first. It wasn't even your idea. It was God's idea. And so what happens is that many times we want to live a prosperous life and then we fight against God about how we're going to live a prosperous life. He like, all right, we sang a song. What you looking for? What you looking for? Whatever you looking for. I'm the one who already knows the path. I'm the one with all the wisdom. I'm the one with all of the insight. I'm the one with all of the instruction. I already know why I told you not to date them. I already know why I told you not to move. I already told, know why I told you not to get the car right now. I already know I'm the one you're looking for. If you just rock with me, you're going to win. Yeah. Say, if I stick with God, I, with God. I, will win. I will win. So let's look at Genesis, and we're going to start at Genesis 12. And we're going to look at this very familiar passage of scripture, we typically just go through verse one through three. We're going to go a little further this morning. It says, now the Lord has said to Abraham, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house into a land that I will show you. Say, God wants to show me something. He says, he comes to Abraham. He says, hey, Abraham, I want to take you somewhere you haven't been before. And then he makes him a promise. Go to the next verse. He says, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. He says, I'm going to make you a great nation. He says, go back, back. I'll make you a great nation. I'm going to bless thee. I'm going to make thy name great, and thou shall be a blessing. These are the promises that you can expect when you go in the land that God is telling you to go into. I'll give you the power of a nation in that place. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Verse 3, and then he says, and I will bless them that bless thee, and I will curse him that cursed thee, and in thee all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. He says, and not only will I bless you and protect you, and not only will I bless people who bless you, but I will handle whoever comes against you. Way back in Genesis 3, he says, 12 and 3, he says, you don't ever have to worry about a hater because I handle the haters. 
You give your energy to being offended. You give your energy to being to walking in unforgiveness. You give your energy to being salty with who's trying to stop you and who doesn't want you in the room and who doesn't want you at the table. But he's the one who said, I prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. So the fact that I got some enemies mean that there's a table prepared. So I don't look at the table. I don't look at the enemies. I look at God to see where I should sit down. But he tells that to Abraham and says, that's what I'm going to do in your life. Go to verse 4. He says, so Abram departed. God makes Abram a promise. He says, I'm going to do any, all these things in your life. But then Abram had to move. Many times in life we hear that God is making us a promise. I'm, I, healing is yours. Salvation is yours. Restoration of a marriage is yours. Restoration of a family situation is yours. More money is yours. A promotion is yours. But then Abraham had to move. Tell your neighbor, say, you can't just sit there. You have to do something. And one of the things that happens sometimes is because we hear so many faith declarations and we hear so many, it's your season, it's your time, and all of those things are true. But how many of you know that if we had a field in the back of the church and that field was full of plants and things that we had planted, we got greens back there and string beans and we have peppers and all kind of stuff and watermelon back there, that if nobody goes back there and gets them, even though it's your season and your time, You'll never taste the fruit of it because you didn't go get it. God is responsible for making it fruitful, but you are responsible for picking the vine. So he says, and Abraham departed and Lot went with him, blah, blah, blah. I want you to go to verse 7 because I don't want to talk about Lot today. After Abram departs, because I want you to watch how this works with God. It says, then the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, unto thy seed, I will give you this land. And then he, who is he, Abraham, built an altar to the Lord. Here's what happened. God approaches Abraham in the same way he's approached many of us. You came from whatever situation you came from. He said, hey, Edwin Strickland, if you do this in your family, I'm going to take you to a place that you've never been before. When, you, when he tells you he's going to take you to a place you've never been before, he doesn't tell you what the place is. But when you start to move and you step into place, he says, this right here, this is the land I'm giving you. He says, this is the land that I'm giving you. And the appropriate response to land being given is an altar being built. So he gives them the land and Abram builds an altar. Well, what does an altar represent? An altar represents two things according to a Jew, Jewish encyclopedia. It represents peace. It says, I now acknowledge that this promotion that the Lord is bringing me into, I now acknowledge that this marriage that God is bringing me into, I now acknowledge that this business that the Lord is bringing me into, I acknowledge that I need him here in order to have peace. Peace means nothing missing, nothing broken. My education may have got me the interview, but I need an altar to ensure that whatever would try to move me out this spot cannot move me. So I build an altar to represent peace. The second thing an altar does is it reminds you that you and God have an agreement. What most people don't understand is that the only reason God asks you for your money is so that he can have an agreement with you about your financial prosperity. 
You, you, you fighting over whether you giving and where the giving goes to. But the only reason for bringing a tithe, for bringing a first fruit, for bringing a seed is so that God can get in covenant with you about your prosperity and establish peace. Here, here's what an altar does. An altar says, God, we're in covenant. You're going to see this thing keep going. No, let's just keep reading the scripture. Hold on. I don't want to jump ahead. Tell your neighbor, say, open your heart to understand. Keep going. So he builds this altar and he keeps going. He doesn't stay there with the altar but he keeps going and he goes into this land and he builds an altar. And then it says, but he called up on the name of the Lord. Here's what it looks like. God says, Chris, I'm going to take you to the nations. She don't know what nation. She don't know how. She don't know who. He says, bring me a seed. Because the seed will remind you what I said. And you will keep walking. An altar took work. In the old days when you built an altar, an altar takes work. So it wasn't just I reach in the bottom of my purse, I got 57 cents in the bottom, and I drop it, and I don't even know what I put in. Building an altar meant that he had to move some stones. He had to take some heavy stuff and gather it. And then he had to go get some resources. And he couldn't just put the resources on there alive. See, some of you don't get a harvest off your seed because the money ain't dead when you give it. That's why you track it. That's why you know where it go. That's why you remember who owe you money. That's why you wonder and judge what other people are doing. Because in order, before you put something on the altar, you have to kill it. Every time I bring a seed to the Lord for my future, I'm killing my, resent, my, uh, my tendency to rely on myself. If I keep this money, I can manage, I can move, I can do this right here. I bring this money. I don't know what I'm going to do right here. Oh, I'm going to rely on you. Let's keep going. So, so Abraham journeyed in the land. Good job, Corey. So then there's a famine. If you keep reading, there's a famine. And in that famine, Abraham goes to Egypt. Egypt represents the place of bondage. Now, almost all of us can relate to that. God makes you a promise. He tells you he's going to bless you in this land. There comes famine to the thing that God promised. And instead of staying in the place that God told you to do, you go and link back up with the thing that you asked God to deliver you from to begin with. You say, I wanted to be a leader at my job, and the Lord promotes you. And you say, I didn't know management was going to be this much work. 
these people get on my nerves. They always asking me for something. They always, they always, they, they don't do what I tell them to do. Now I prayed for it. God and I made a covenant over. God opened the door and put it there. But when famine shows up, I have a tendency to run away from God said to go into a place of comfort. Because the thing about Egypt is that Egypt represents bondage. It always represents bondage, but bondage can feel real comfortable. Bondage can feel real comfortable. Everybody likes to act like that when we look at bondage, that everybody in bondage is like, ugh. No, no, no. Sometimes you in bondage like, ooh. And so Abraham goes into, in, into bondage, but Abraham and God have a covenant. And this shows that God keeps covenant and he keeps trying to pull us back to the place even when we don't do what we're supposed to do. And God, go, Abraham goes into bondage. And even in bondage, the hand of the Lord is on him. And he uses his oppression to make him wealthy. God can prosper you anywhere. That's what Joseph said. Joseph said, if you put me in the pit, I'll prosper. You put me in the prison, I'll prosper. You put me in the palace, I'll prosper. Some of you don't think you can prosper till you get to the palace, but you can't get to the palace because you don't know who prospers you. Because if you knew who you prospered, you could be like, listen here, they can't stop me at a, at a $9 job. They can't stop me at a $99 an hour job. They can't stop me at a $999,000 job. They cannot stop me. Why? They don't control my prosperity. Me being black, you cannot stop me. Being a woman, you cannot stop me. Me being diagnosed with something, you cannot stop me. Me being single, me being married, me being old, me being young, you cannot stop me. Because I am... I'm in covenant with God. Abraham goes. You know the story goes down there. Says Sarah, his, his sister, blah, blah, blah. Gets wealthy. People have a lot of theological issues with that. Whatever issue you have with that, you talk to the Lord about that. That's not what I'm talking about today. But then he comes back to the altar. He comes back to the altar. You know what that symbolizes to me? That Abraham had an aha and said, even when I stepped outside of where God wanted me to be, he blessed me. Let me go back to the covenant. There may be times that you walk away, you forget about the dream, you forget about the commitment, you forget about what God said. You get worn out with what God said. You get stressed out. You get tired of people prophesying to you. You get tired of making confessions and it seems like something, nothing happened. But you will be in a state that you should not actually be in and God will bless you and that should cause you to come back to the covenant. So you keep going. And if you see in Genesis 21, which is what we started to talk. Oh, no, no. We got to go to the next chapter. I'm going to tell you a story. You have to read it because I don't have time to read all the scriptures to you. When Abraham comes back, he's so blessed. Say, so blessed. So blessed. Say, so blessed. so blessed. It's not room for him to sit close to who he used to sit close to. When Abraham comes back from this place that should have taken him out, but God blesses him in this place that should have taken him out. He comes back and the blessing on him is also on Lot. And now they have so much stuff that they can't dwell in the same place. But if you read the scripture, here's what it says. It says, but Abraham chose the land that was close to the altar. 
He stayed close to his peace and his covenant. He literally looks at the land and he says, I, Lot, you can have whatever part of the land you want. Lot says, I want to take the good piece of land. I want to take where it's a lot of water flowing. I want to take where the grass is green. It's really pretty. Take it. And I, Abraham says, go ahead, take whatever you want. Why? Because I got the thing that makes stuff green. I got the thing that makes water. I got the thing that makes trees grow. I'm going to stay right here close to the covenant that I have with God. There are going to be times in your life that people are going to present opportunities to you and you know when it's presented, it's not your opportunity. Tell your neighbor, you better stay close to that altar. Now look at what happens if you keep reading. Lot picks the pretty part. And then Lot gets taken into captivity. And who has to come get him? The man with the covenant with God. The Bible says that Abraham took 318 of his trained servants and went and whooped everybody. Got all the spoils and then said something so profound that lets you know the magnitude of his covenant. He says they're trying to give him, the other kings are trying to give him stuff. He says, I can't take this. Because you'll say you made me rich. I wouldn't give you the pleasure of being able to say that you are the one that took Abraham into the Forbes list. So y'all take all the spoils and do with them what you want to. But then he does an interesting thing in that he breaks apart even though he doesn't keep the spoil. The Bible says that this is when he goes to Melchizedek and he opens up a tithe. He offers a tie. Wait a minute. He goes to war. He doesn't keep the spoils. He gives the spoils to the people who need them most. And then he offers the tithe to Melchizedek. He offers 10% of what he didn't even take. We will fight with God about 10% we got. But he offered 10% or what he didn't even take. Why? Because he has that word that God said on him, I'm going to make you a nation. Look at your neighbor. Say, neighbor, don't let the prophet from today make you miss the nation you're supposed to become. Don't let what you think you need to take today, what you think you need to put your hand on today, what you think you need to do today, don't miss becoming a nation because it would give you a little relief today. Because when we start talking about obedience, here's the thing that happens, is that when we start talking about obedience and favor, there, there, um, you can read throughout the Bible that over and over again somebody would say, hey, Ari, I want to hang with you because I can see God is on your life. Mika, I don't want you to leave because I see God is on your life. And I know that because God is on your life, even if God ain't on my life, you go prosper here. So I'm going to prosper here because God is on, my, is on your life. And you have to be careful not to be so enticed by your dream. 
that you will leave a place that God has not told you to leave or go to a place that God didn't tell you to go because you believe in what they promised more than what he promised. Amen. Amen. So now we can get to Isaac, which is what I've been wanting to talk about. Oh, no, before we get to Isaac, we get to Genesis 21. The Bible ain't nothing but a good story. Some of this stuff should just be a movie. In Genesis 21, after Abraham wins the battle, then the king Abimelech comes to him and says, you a bad man. Shut your mouth. He says, because think about this. Abimelech is already a king over a nation. And he sees Abram do something with 318 people that four kings couldn't do together. So Abimelech says, hold on, let's make a covenant. I want to be in covenant with you. If you read in Genesis 21, even when they're building the, even when they're making the covenant, Abram builds an altar. He says, you think it's just me and you going into covenant. But it's me, you, and God that's going into covenant. And because Abimelech says to him, why you got these seven calves? Why do you bring these things out? And he basically says to him, because at the end of the day, if God don't ratify this covenant, our agreement don't mean nothing. I'll tell you, that, that'll help marry people. If God don't ratify this thing right here, this civil piece of paper that we have, it don't mean nothing. And so they go into covenant. Now we can go to Genesis 26. That was important to tell you because everybody likes in Genesis 26 that Isaac sold in that year and received a hundredfold. Isaac sold in that year and he received a hundredfold, but God wasn't just responding to the seed that Isaac had sold. He was, he was responding to what had been released in the land before him. Our confessions, our confessions are our release in the land. Father, we thank you that you've called us to be the head and not the tail. Father, we thank you that you've called us to prosper and not to be in lack. Those are the confessions of that. We then begin to put our seed on top of that. All right, God, you know what? I got this business deal next week. What, what offering do you want me to bring you? Most believers don't even ask God what offering they should bring. Most believers give God what they think they got. Oh, I got, uh, I got 50 today. But people who walk this thing out say, God, what do you want? What do you want? Which is why I said last week that sometimes God might ask you for $12. And sometimes he might ask you for $1,200. And then somebody will say, oh, well, he would never ask for $1,200 and then ask for twelve. dollars Uh-huh, he would because he's always checking obedience. And one of the things I found is that people who give big seeds, that sometimes he'll ask for a small seed to show you that you started to trust in the amount of the seed as opposed to the process of the seed. So now you think he would do it for $100, but you don't think that he would do it for $10. And then you get comfortable showing someone $100, and he asks you for $500, and then you start wrestling with him about why you can't get $500, because it's all these things that you need to do, because you're always looking at now, and he's always looking at generations. You're always looking at now. You're always looking at what do I need today? What can I eat today? How can I make it this week? And whenever God is asking for anything, he's always asking for generations. And that's all he was saying to Abraham. Abraham with no kids. Because at this point, he's still Abram. He doesn't have a kid. He says to a man with no kids, I'm going to make you a nation. Yeah. 
that tells me that God will say to a woman with no money, I'm going to put you in a house. It says to me that God will say to somebody with no degree, I'm going to make you a CEO. It says to me that God is never limited by who you are today because he knows the seed that he first planted before flesh was ever on you. So he puts a seed in you, which is why you exist, and tries to get you to give him a seed so y'all can be in agreement. The whole system of the kingdom is seed. One son for many. That's how you know you're more than a servant. Now, if you're a good son, you serve. But you weigh more than a servant. He didn't sow one servant for many servants. He sold a son for many sons. But the difference between sons and children represent authority. Meaning that God didn't save you to be a baby your whole life. Because he's looking for some people who can exercise kingdom rule and reign. And I can't exercise kingdom rule and reign if I can't first manage myself and make myself bow to God. It's always really interesting to me when people are trying to bind stuff in other people that ain't bound in you. I love it because the church we like, we go loose, we go bind, we go take authority over. But the centurion, he says to Jesus, he says, hey, just send a word. Jesus says, I'll come to your house. He says, I don't need you to come to my house because I understand how authority works. When I say to the people under me, move, he was saying, Jesus, I understand that the word is under you. If you tell it to go, it goes. I don't need you to show up. He said, because I'm a man under authority who exercises authority, so I know how authority works. You can't cast the devil of disobedience out of your kids when it dwell in you. Okay. Genesis 26, because that's really all I'm trying to get to. Genesis 26, verse 1. Let's go there. It says, and there was a famine in the land. Besides the first famine that was in the days of Abram, and Isaac went to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, unto Gerar. Keep going. And the Lord appeared unto him, and he said, what? Do not go to Egypt. Have you noticed that the Lord only has to tell you not to do something because you was go do it? When the Lord say don't say nothing, it's because you was go say something. Ellen said to one of our kids the other day, they, was fuss, they were fussing at him. They were fussing about me to him. And they were like, mama always got something to say. To which he said this, I have never heard your mama come into your room and go, you need to clean your room when your room clean. So he was like, if you don't want her to tell you what to do and what not to do. So the only reason he has to tell Isaac not to go to Egypt is because Egypt, Isaac knows the story. He's rehearsing in his mind because his father has taught him how God has moved. And he's thinking, I can go to Egypt and exist in this famine. You cannot predict how God will deliver you this time based on how he delivered you last time. You cannot predict it. He says to Abram, he lets Abram go there. He blesses Abram when Isaac gets ready to do it. He goes, no, no, no. I submit that he says, no, no, no. It's because at this point in Isaac's life, he has had experiences with God that Isaac, that Abraham had not had at the same point. What do I mean? After all of the stuff with Abraham, God tells Abraham, take Isaac, your only son. 
and take him to this mountain. Because at this point, Abraham is proficient at building altars. He says, then your son is going to be the sacrifice. Now, what you may not realize is that when he does that, Isaac's grown. Some of you can't get your kids to come to church grown. But Abraham gets Isaac to walk up a mountain carrying wood, knowing that he will be the sacrifice. How do you know that he know that he will be the sacrifice? Because he laid down to be killed. It represents so many things. But one of the things that it represents is that it's important to kill your dream and keep your dream under God. Because Isaac was the thing that Isaac didn't ask to be, I mean, Abraham didn't ask for a nation. He didn't ask to be blessed going in and blessed coming out. What he asked God for was a son. He gets this boy. This boy is his pride and joy. This boy is so dope that it's changed his mama name. Now she's the mother of many nations. And she says, God has made me laugh. Everybody said I wasn't going to never have a baby. And now I got a son, not just a baby, but a son, which in that time meant so much. And then God says, give him to me. Give him to me. You've been waiting so long to have a thousand dollars in the bank. Give it to me. You've been waiting so long for everybody to know your name. You've been working so hard on that social media page. Don't post for a month. You've been waiting so long. I want that. Because one of the commandments is to have no other God before him. What God always asks for is the thing that you have to consult to obey God. That's why God ain't going to never back up off asking your money for your money. Your money dictate everything about your life. People are like, money don't rule me. Money rule everything about you. When you leave here, it's going to tell you where you go eat. If you go eat at home, if what kind of restaurants you go eat. It's going to tell you whether you can go to Wendy's or whether you can go to Ruth Chris. Some people, they can tell they can get on a plane and get to California in order to have dinner at Eddie V's this evening. Most of us, it's not going to tell us that. It's going to tell us where we can stay. Your money moves everything about you. So God says, why don't you keep bringing me the thing that keeps telling you what to do? So he says, go not down into Egypt. Stay where I told you. Tell him, turn and tell your neighbor, stay where I told you. Stay where I told you. Stay where I told you. So many people never get to go to the next level because you don't know the honor of staying where he told you. Stay where he told you. Did he tell you to move? Stay where he told you. But all the opportunities, are the, but what did he say? Stay where he told you. Next verse. Sojourn in this land and I will be with you. As we grow up in God, there are things that God will let you get away with as a baby that as, an, as you start to grow up, he won't let you get away with. He'll let you go over there and do that. He'll still put the blessing on. Then there's some things you get old and he just like, no, because I expect more of you. Because I put more in you. 
It's the difference in how we expect a two-year-old to act versus a 12-year-old versus a 22-year-old. We expect there to be a difference in your thing. So when you're walking with the Lord, there ought to be a difference. And in the beginning, God will let you get away with some stuff, and he'll rub you on your back and say, grow up. But in reality, some of you, you new believers, and you may get to cuss on Facebook, and the Lord will just be like, take that down. If I wig out and cuss on Facebook, me and the Lord got to have a whole different kind of conversation because he's like, I know what I put in you, and I know it's something better in you than that. Right, and you know it. He says, so stay in the land, and unto thee and thy seed I will give all of these countries, and I will perform the oath I made to Abraham. There are things that are on your life. There are acts of obedience that God asks you for because they don't have nothing to do with you, but they got to do with the promise he made to your mom and daddy. They got to do with the promise that he made to your grandparents and your great-grandparents. And for African-Americans, it has to do with the promise that he made to a group of people that was enslaved in bondage. And so there are some opportunities and some doors and some rooms that you get to sit in that you're not there because you got a degree. You there because he is honoring an oath that he made to somebody who called out to him before you were ever thought of when they were in chains knowing they would never be able to be free and to mix and be in the same place with white people. They were praying that their generation would be able to be ahead in a place where they couldn't even lift up their eyes and look them in the face. And when you understand that, People want to know what makes some cultures different from others. The cultures that last live for generations. The cultures that last make decisions for generations. I thank God that my marriage worked out. But truth be told, I didn't just stay married because I love street. I stayed married because I could see something in generations. Because neither one of us came from happy married families and we wanted our great grandkids to be able to say. We wanted our great grandkids to be able to say. Because let me tell you something. Marriage is easier when you come from a lineage of the blessing in marriage than when you're having to fight all the demons of your mama and daddy. All the demons of your grandparents and great grandparents. It's something different when you're standing there and they can look back and they can go, um, Mimi and Papa, they made it. We can make it. And in this next season, to go to the next level, you're going to have to get somebody on your mind besides yourself. You're going to have to get somebody on your mind besides yourself. You're going to have to get a people on your mind you haven't seen yet. A people that run in your bloodline that you have not met yet. You do not know them on this realm, but God has put you in this earth realm to break some barriers so that they never have to face some of the face stuff that you face. And some of it is that sometimes you got to bring a seed that was meant for your vacation and bring it on the altar because you paying for college for your great grandkids. Pastor Ellen told the story about how he got admitted to Morehouse and how he went for the summer program because he couldn't stay because one no money. So he started building something in the event that he ever had a son that wanted to go to Morehouse. This is generation work. 
I'm going to tell you right now so you can work through it. The Lord already told me we're going to sow a seed today for generations. And it's going to be an amount. And I know people get worked up about that, but it's a word from the Lord. If you don't believe it, don't do it. I'm telling you, something going to break in this place. Caleb calls Edwin the other day and says, I want to thank you for what you've done for me. Because there are so many kids here who don't have anybody to help them. Edwin was once the kid that had nobody to help him. Then seed, time, and harvest. All the times that we gave instead of going on vacation. All the times that we built God's house instead of taking a job and traveling where we wanted to travel. All those times. So when it was time to go to college, God said, I got you, Edwin. Because I'm not a man that I should lie. And I don't forget your labor of love. The Spirit of the Lord told me to tell you this morning, Miss Harriet, you have always had a heart for him, but you didn't always have the wisdom. But in these last days, he is going to release a wisdom to you and give you back everything that has been taken from you. Because sometimes you got a heart, but you ain't got no knowledge. You ain't got no wisdom. You don't have no understanding. But God honors heart. I prophesy over you, your last days going to be your best years. Your last years going to be your best years. I prophesy, I call all struggle broken off of you. I declare that even when you sleep, even when you sleep, the Lord will break his word open to you. He will give you strategies and wisdom and insight. And it will recover everything you lost. The Lord said you have some hurts that people don't even know you have. Not even people close to you. They don't even know that you have those hurts. But he going to put joy in your mouth. This service here ain't about your dream. This service is about heaven's dream. That you are just one of the people in the lineage that are setting up the next generation. See, when you really understand how God works generationally, and if you got any anointing for kids, pastor would never have to ask you to sign up and work with kids. He'd never have to put that sheet up again. In fact, he'd have to say, there's so many people volunteering. We got more people volunteering because that's what happens when people get a revelation. When people get a rep, that's what I was trying to get you to understand about spontaneous praise. When you get a revelation about who, most of you believe I'm good people. That's why you praise like you did. But most of your praise dropped when it was for Jesus. You happen to believe that I'm a better person than Jesus. Now, you wouldn't really want to admit that. But the truth of it is, in your mind, I've given you some answers sometimes when you ask Jesus and it didn't come through. And so that's why you're willing to clap for me and then your clap shrink back for him. And sometimes it's just hard to admit I really love Jesus, but I don't really trust him. I love Jesus. I don't really trust him, though. And, and sometimes the reason that you don't have any trust built in Jesus is that every test he's giving you that would produce trust, you don't take it. Every invitation to obedience is a test to trust him more. So now Caleb is standing in Morehouse, standing on the shoulders of his father who had to go home, building a lineage that Strickland men 
will never worry about Morehouse again. And those of you who are building good marriages, you're building a lineage. So that when your kids come and talk to you about their struggles, because they will have struggles, that you'll have more than the dumb advice your parents gave you. When God breaks curses, he breaks them generationally. That's why in Hebrews 12, it says, Seeing that you are encompassed by such a great cloud of witnesses, throw off everything that would slow you down. Because you ain't standing here on your own. Somebody ran before you. The Bible says it paints the picture like this. There are people who have prayed for you that at moments of your life come to the edge between heaven and earth and look at you. And they cheer because they say we set you up for this. The illustration that God gives me for this every time I think about this is the four by 100. You have some good legs, them first one, two, and three. But they always put the fastest on the fourth. So you're in a race, and the stick's been passed. And now everybody else that has run is standing over the edge because they know you the fastest, even though you don't know you the fastest. They're saying, throw down everything that would stop you from running this race. Because you can only see the lap you running. But we know it's a whole race. Bring it home. Leave your family better than you found it. Leave your family better than you found it. If you had to struggle to get to college... Leave your family better than you found it. If you had to struggle to stay married because there wasn't no good representations of marriage in front of you, leave them better than you found them. You say, but I'm single. How could I leave them behind? Get some wisdom so that when they come to you, you don't just give them dumb advice. You send them to counseling instead of telling them what you think. So now when Abraham gets when Isaac sows in this land, we're going to go here and then we're done. We're going to get ready to give our seed this morning. Come on, just worship for a second. We're going to finish up Genesis 26. Come on, worship for a second. I'm telling you. There are some people in this room and you've had to struggle real hard for some of the things that you've had. But if you walk this out, your kids won't know that struggle. But you owe them to teach them generational work. We're not just making it easy for you. We are making it lighter for you so you can run faster for the next people that will come and stand behind you. Man, we're not just building FOC for us. That's why you ought to care about the church growing. It ain't just about you. This church should be here once we all long gone. 
It should be a place where people can come and learn who they are in the faith and take victory over the things that used to crush them in the face. Oh, God, I thank you for the release. Some of you may be thinking, I don't have any kids. Abraham was saving Lot before he ever had his own kid. He was sowing what was there in front of to what it was there in front of him. Don't be so consumed with you that you don't make anybody else better. That all of your prayers about what you need and where you need to go and how you need to break through the next level. But you don't never think about other people who are attached to you. That it becomes your responsibility not to do the work for it, but to pray it in and make the path easier. Genesis 26, verse 6. It says, and Isaac dwelt in Gerar. He stayed in this place. And then verse 12 it says, and Isaac sowed in that land and received in that same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. I think it's interesting how the Bible is written sometimes. It says he sowed in that land and received a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. And the Lord blessed him. Which says to you and to me, that money isn't the biggest blessing. <laughs> we spend so much time focusing on the money. He's like, dude, that ain't even the big thing. It's the least of things in the kingdom. Tell your neighbor, say, in the kingdom, money is the easiest thing to get. The Bible says it's the least of these. You're like, but money consumes my life because you've made it the most of things. But when it becomes the least of the things, because the Bible says it like this, it says the things that when you walk with God, the things that you chase start chasing you. You hustling, you building, you connecting, you all of that stuff, you chasing. He says, uh-uh, if you chase me, stuff start chasing you. You just show up for opportunities. People start calling you and saying, I think you should apply for this job. You start saying things like Pastor Ellen say. They say, we need you to fill out this application. He said, I'm not filling out our application, but I will send you my resume. So sometimes he on a, he's been on jobs for six months before they realize that he didn't figure out a, fill out an application. Then they like, would you just do it for compliance sake? Because when you start following God, then God gets interested. Some of you are trying to beg God to get interested, but all you can you, you stop begging if you start obeying. If you start obeying, he will get interested in what you're interested in. Why? Because this is the last part of this. Because God is looking not just for good Christians. Good Christians are a dime a dozen. God is looking for some people who got kingdom reign. God is looking for some people that he can send up in Walmart and they can begin to pray and intercede over what's happening. God is looking for some people that can cause a company to prosper even when there's a famine. God is looking for some people that when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. God is looking to send some people in the education system that will notice one kid that's supposed to be the next president and invest in them and teach them how to read instead of saying that they nobody. God is looking for people with kingdom reign, not just good people. People who know they got some authority to speak to something and it should move and they know they have authority because they submitted to authority. 